0: Welcome to the I Believe podcast, a podcast created and funded by Cure Insight. Here, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatment, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you'll be back soon. So I'm going to introduce our two speakers and their parents who we've got here today. We've got two pediatric patients here who are super brave and super courageous for coming and talking to all of our community and just helping to spread awareness around ocular melanoma and the fact that it can actually impact younger demographic too. So it can impact kids. And obviously this is not something that any of us asked for, but I guess in honor of Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month, we wanted to see if we could bring them on and have them speak. We've got Presley and his mom, Stephanie, and they are here hailing from... South Carolina, Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. So they're in South Carolina and Presley was diagnosed, um, December 17th of 2018 at the age of 13 with ocular melanoma. And his eyesight was permanently destroyed due to the tumor in his right eye. Go right eyes. (laughs) Um, and immediately after diagnosis, he underwent plaque radiation. And then over here, down on the bottom bottom right of the screen, we have Mila and her mom, Kaziah. and they are from New yeah. York. Okay, New York. So, they're from New York. Um, Mila was actually diagnosed in November 2020, so just under a year ago, right? Like, not even a full year yet. Yeah. Basically due to complaints about vision loss is kind of how they started their journey here. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, If you guys are okay, I'm just going to dive right in and I'm going to ask you guys a few different questions. Um, I'm going to start with Presley and I'll ask you a couple questions and then we'll go over to Mila and Kazaya and ask you guys. Okay. So Presley, can you talk to us just like from what you remember about what led to your diagnosis? What did you notice that changed with your vision?
1: Nothing changed with my vision when we first noticed it. It was Thanksgiving of 2018, and we were in our hometown of Chicago. And uh, my mom noticed my eye started, like, twitching. And she didn't like that. So we went to the doctors, and our doctor sent us to an ophthalmologist, and that's when they found it.
2: Yeah, we actually really liked it because we just we noticed the eye twitching, we noticed some things happening physically. I could physically see it looking at him with his eye. And we were out of town. So we reached out to his pediatrician who, thank gosh, he took us seriously and he didn't play with it. And he got us a referral. So the day we got back in town, we had an appointment with the ophthalmologist thinking it was something simple, maybe a lazy eye, he'd overworked his eye, something. And um had driven back in town and then went to that appointment.
0: Okay. So it sounds like it was kind of just this random fluke that you guys even happened to figure it out. A hundred percent. Yeah. And obviously like it's one of those good random flukes. I can relate like to random flukes. Um, so Presley, when you first were told that you had a tumor in your eye, I'm assuming that this is kind of some of the language that the doctors used, but did they talk to you first? Did they talk to your mom first?
1: they talked to her first and it wasn't until like 24 hours later that I actually found out.
0: That's crazy. Okay. So Stephanie, I know this is kind of a, this is probably a sensitive topic, but can you just kind of briefly take us back there to like, when you first heard the word tumor, like what, what was your gut response?
2: The beginning part of our journey was super crazy. That first day at the ophthalmologist, um, we realized that he was almost blind in his right eye. We left that appointment knowing that that day. And they had told us they thought because of his red hair and his fair skin that it was an angioma. And he said to be safe though because his retina was already detached. They sent us, so the very next morning we had an appointment with a retina specialist. So when we arrived there and they started taking a scan, some of the same things they had done the day before I was in the room. And so they had his left eye up first. And the second I saw his right eye come up in the picture, I was like, that is not a birth mother. You know what I mean? Like I knew I, I did, it was something, but no one would say anything. No one said anything that day. We went through multiple doctors that day. And by day three, we were being sent to the ocular oncologist. So the second I heard oncologist, I knew where, what direction, and of course had spent three sleepless nights researching things that I probably shouldn't have researched. So he was the first one, Um, we were all together, me and his real dad and both of the step parents and um, the doctors talked with us first because for us, we had to leave the very next week, we had to go to Philadelphia. So we weren't treated here um, in our home state. So it was gonna require, you know, travel, how we were going to cover our other kids, what this even meant. We knew very, very little about ocular melanoma. Most people we knew had never even heard of it. So they talked to us first. Um, We all calmed down. And then um, we decided that it would be better to talk to Presley um, when we weren't at the doctor's office, trying to kind of escort him. And um, we talked to him briefly, but we did opt for a biopsy to confirm the doctor's beliefs and the scans. So we actually told him officially told him everything that was going on once the biopsy had been conducted in Philadelphia.
1: So like a week later. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so Presley,
0: you had no idea for the first the first few days. So what did it feel like for you to be going through kind of all of these scams and everything, just not really knowing what was going on?
1: Uh, being honest, at first. It was a reason to get out of school, so.
0: (laughs) This is the true teenager response. Um, Okay, so a reason to get out of school. Um, Was there a point before anyone talked to you, before your parents talked to you, that you kind of felt like you knew something was going on, or were you just totally taken by surprise?
1: It really took me by surprise, and I thought, like, the end game would be I either had to get, like, glasses or contacts, something along those lines. I didn't think it would be something, like, 10 times worse than that. Yeah, I know for sure.
0: I've had contacts and glasses like all of my childhood. (laughs) This is definitely worse than that um, as far as just all the things you have to deal with. So I understand that. Um, Okay. So if Presley, Stephanie, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to switch gears and we're going to talk to Mila and Kazaya about the beginning of their story. Mila, can you guys explain what... What was the beginning of your diagnosis? Like what did you notice about your eyesight? Did you notice anything that kind of led you to tell your mom, hey, something's happening and I need to figure it out? Like I can't see.
2: I noticed that I started like losing sight in my eye. And after I think half a year, I went completely blind.
1: See, that'd be scary. Mm-hmm.
2: So you kind of just
0: had some gradual deterioration of your vision, right? It just kind of gradually got a little bit worse and a little bit worse. So Kaziah, can you remember roughly when after the vision loss was being experienced, you guys were able to actually like nail down a diagnosis?
3: So I think she started complaining in about August of 2020. And she'd say, oh, like I can't see. She wasn't complaining of like complete blindness, but just saying she couldn't see as well. And honestly, I kind of pushed it off. She's never had vision problems. So then we made appointments with the eye doctor but they got pushed back a couple times because of covid. We went on November 30th, we went to our local eye doctor. And they did an eye exam, they dilated her eyes and her vision at that time was 2250. But they told me that nothing was wrong with her eye. I'm a nurse and I was like she's blind in that eye but there's nothing wrong? Like that's that's not even possible. So Honestly, they were kind of rude to us. So we, I asked for a referral to a specialist because I said, if she can't see out of her eye, it's a problem. So six weeks later in January of 2021, we went to Albany, um, obviously our capital. So we went down there and the, it was a pediatric ophthalmologist looked at her eye and he freaked out. He was like, her retina is detached. And he's like, you're from two hours away, correct? And I said, yes. And it was 4 p.m. on a Friday. And he's like, you can't leave right now. And so I was like, all right. And I, I looked at Mila and I said, oh, your retina is detached. That's, you know, I know that's a medical emergency. That's why you can't see. Like, you know, we're it's just gonna have to be fixed. Not a big deal. So they immediately sent us to a retina specialist. Um, we went there and when we got there it was like five o'clock in the evening on a friday and they as soon as we walked in the door they like grabbed her and they're like we're taking her for pictures i was like okay and i'm still thinking like yeah whatever you know they're doing their thing and um we went in the room and they were doing an ultrasound on her eye when i walked in and i you know was just sitting there looking and i had actually behind the doctor had taken a couple pictures of the ultrasounds because i was like you know the (laughs) medical part of me was like this is really cool And then honestly, I asked to go to the bathroom because we had, you know, been on the road forever. And as I was walking through the waiting room to the bathroom, like I could feel something behind me. And I turned around and the doctor was standing behind me. And I said, can I help you? And he's like, there's a mass in her eye. And I said, okay. And then he goes, it's pigmented. I said, okay. And then he's like, she's got cancer. And I was like, oh, and he just like blurted it out. Mila was still in the room. So she didn't hear any of this. Mm -hmm. And being a nurse, I knew that if this doctor is just going to blurt it out and say it, then, then you know, he, that's what he feels because they don't do that. Usually, you get the runaround of a couple days, couple doctors, couple tests, couple this. Th- there was none of that. So I actually went into the bathroom and I called my boyfriend who was out in the car because of COVID, and I'm like freaking out, I'm, like they just said she has cancer, and like so you know, we ended up leaving that day. He asked me, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to Boston, Philadelphia, or New York city? You need to pick right now. And I said, well, we'll go to Boston because I'm from Massachusetts. And we had a two and a half hour ride home in the car. So Mila's in the back seat. Like, I don't know if she's paying attention or not paying attention or what she heard or didn't hear. I couldn't speak. I didn't want to say anything to my boyfriend because I didn't know what she knew. So it was an extremely long, quiet ride home. We got home and I didn't tell her I waited. We ended up going to Boston, I think on Wednesday, like the following Wednesday. And that's the morning we went is when I told her she knew she had a mass in her eye, but she didn't know it was cancerous. And honestly, like I wasn't trying to put it off because obviously I had a terrible weekend of just like crying and, yeah. you know, looking everything up and just, it was awful. And I, she didn't see any of that, but that morning I knew they were going to tell her like at the oncologist. And I just said, Mila, you know, um, that mass in your eye, it's cancer. And she was like, I kind of had a feeling like, I think she just, I don't know if she was looking up on her phone or, you know, you don't know what they're looking up as well. So we went to Boston For sure. and they, they confirmed it. They didn't recommend her to have a biopsy because she also has a bleeding disorder. And the doctor was really worried that if they biopsied it, there would be a problem with bleeding. In hindsight, I almost kind of wish they did do it, but I get the, you know, she had to have infusions before and after surgery and everything. So she wasn't a good candidate for plaque therapy because it was right up against her optic nerve and they were going to have to irradiate her optic nerve anyway. Um, so she had proton beam therapy. So she had to go in and have surgery and they placed some rings behind her eye. And then she had five days of radiation and she actually tolerated it pretty well. And I think you did good. You did a good job. It was a, it was a long journey that just like Stefan and Presley, like had to go to a different state. Her oncologist is in a different state. We go to Vermont to see a pediatric oncologist. So a lot of travel and a lot of just, and same thing, you know, I have other children and your job and just trying to figure out everything you're going to do. And also just honestly, you know, I give Mila information in very small doses and I'll ask her like, you know, with surveillance, do you want to know why they're looking at your abdomen? Do you want to know why? And and sometimes she says, yes, sometimes she says no. And if she says no, I don't tell her. And say, if you ever want to know, just, you know, come find me and I'll tell you. Yeah,
0: for sure. So you guys said you had proton beam therapy and Presley, what did you end up having done as far as your treatment options?
1: Plaques radiation.
0: Okay. So you had the plaque disc. Did you feel like I know from what your mom described, your tumor was pretty large, Presley. Um, Mila, do you guys, Mila and Kaziah, do you guys know roughly how large Presley's was? Or sorry, Mila's?
1: Mila's
3: um, measured, I think it was about six millimeters, but the base of it was like 15 by 16.
0: Okay, so it so it was like wide. But I guess I... I've come to learn that not all the numbers matter as much to everyone as much as the thickness does, right? Um, and I know mine mine was pretty thick, so that was scary. Like to realize that it was like on the bigger side of the thickness. So plaque, Presley, did you have the plaque done in? You said you guys went to Philadelphia for Will's eye, right? Yes, and ma'am. so you guys were treated by Doctor Shields. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And when you had this um, plaque therapy, were you in the hospital? Were you home? Um, Well, not home, but were you in a, in a hotel with your mom?
1: We were in a hotel.
0: Okay. So what was plaque like for
1: you? It was horrible. It was horrible. Hey,
0: freaking I like, every time (laughs) I ask this question, I'm like, and somebody's like, oh, it wasn't that big deal. I was like, what, what are you saying? This was a huge deal. This was like freaking piece of metal in your eye. It's not a, it's not a no brainer. No big deal.
2: I think Isaiah made a really good point is that I think that what often gets missed for all ocular melanoma patients is all the moving pieces that make it so much more difficult. It's very rare that you find that someone, anybody, whether it's a kid or an adult is treated in their home state. So we already, we were in Philadelphia for almost 27 days, start to finish first because from the day we arrived to when they could biopsy was the following thursday because everything has a protocol and then it's another week later before you can have your first surgery he had three surgeries in 10 days you know everything goes by their schedule and so we had to switch hotels and i i just don't think people realize you know how tough that is for them to radiate for five straight days and and be in a hotel like that and you can't go home Like, able to see people. Correct. We couldn't, I couldn't get on one side of him. We were all wearing radiation bracelets. You can't go in and out of the hotel. Everything has to be dark because he was so sensitive to all the lights and the sounds. And I'll let you take over.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it was horrible. Like, five days and you're stuck in this dark room and it's just uncomfortable. And the original room we stayed in, they were doing work right above us. So there was a jackhammer, like, 24 7 for the first like forty-eight hours and that was horrible. It was just yeah. loud and it was dark and it was miserable.
0: Like you already have a headache. You don't need a worse one. <laughs> yes. Yes. So okay, so Mila and Kaziah, you guys traveled to you said Boston for treatment. So how long like between um like I know Stephanie mentioned that their journey there to Philadelphia took about 27 days from start to finish of diagnosis and treatment and everything in between. How long were you guys in Boston um, for Mila's uh, radiation proton
3: therapy? We went the first time just for an office visit and, you know, all the scans. Then we went home and then we went back about a week later and we stayed for a week. And at that point, she had had to have surgery to put the tantalum rings in her eye. So that was an overnight in the hospital because of her bleeding disorder. But then we stayed at the hotel. We were there a week total because she had to go back in for the proton beam therapy, you have to go the next day and you have to be fitted for a mask and everything for the machine um, and meet the radiation oncologist. So what we did is I, my friend, thank God, she just drove us down there and dropped us off. I didn't have a car. I just said, just leave me here, we'll figure it out. And the hotel graciously, they would pay for a lift for us to go back and forth to the hotel. And then we went home because her eye had to heal a little bit before um, radiation therapy. We went back down a week later and we stayed another week. I mean, I I feel grateful now. I didn't realize how bad the plaque therapy is um, because for her, she went in, her radiation was 30 seconds. So we would go to the hospital. She would have a 30 second radiation or 60 seconds. And then we would go back to the hotel and she was really tired and slept a lot of it. But one day I managed to drag her out to the Boston Aquarium cause we weren't restricted. We could go anywhere we wanted. She didn't really want to go anywhere though. And she just did a lot of sleeping and she did get a radiation burn on her eye, her eyelid. And she lost half of her eyelashes on her upper right lid that won't come back. But the radiation itself, like when they first sent the first day she went in, of course I can't go in with her. And I knew, because of course I looked everything up and I knew they were going to put like a speculum in her eye to hold her eye open. And she has a lot of sensory issues. And I like, it was awful. Like she's walking away and all I can think is like, they're about to do terrible things to you and you don't even know it. And she came out and she was like, oh, it wasn't too bad. And I mean, actually the the actual radiation, she said wasn't bad, but the burn afterwards lasted a long time. So that was kind of rough on her. And it was painful, yeah. And she had just... The worst part of all this, probably not the worst part, but she had just, on January 15th, I had signed her up. We had just moved and she moved to a new school district. That's the day she was diagnosed. So she didn't start school till a month later in a new district with a big radiation burn on her face, you know, and she actually handled it like a champ. Okay. So
0: this is just crazy to me. Like, And I, this just puts, I think, a whole new perspective, like you said, Stephanie, for for people who just don't always have the convenience of someone who can treat them in their home state. And I like, I mean, I just, I just applaud both of you like for doing the things that you've done so far and for the crazy journey that that I'm sure that entire first month to maybe three months was, um, just initially. And I know it hasn't, it doesn't really get easier. You just I feel like you just kinda adjust to the craziness and you like almost just get used to this is how it's it's gonna be. It's gonna be crazy and you're just you're just acclimated a little bit better. So okay. This is kind of a little bit of a I guess just for the sake of before we get into some other stuff, Mila, you mentioned you guys did not end up having a biopsy due to the bleeding disorder. Presley, did you have a biopsy done? Yes, ma'am. And do you happen to, are you comfortable sharing the results of that biopsy? Is your mom comfortable? If if you're not, it's okay. But I
1: don't know about the biopsy.
2: The last time we went to Philadelphia and and I, I should have looked this up before. I think they've changed the levels now. I think they added one. So I think when all he we had not only a biopsy of obviously the tumor, you know, the tumor to confirm that it was acu melanoma, and we did that more for our own peace of mind. I think we were thinking if there was any um, chance that this could be anything other than this, please God let that be the case. And so we were kind of pushing to that last thing. So that's where the biopsy I think came from. I think. All the doctors at that point, including the shields, were fairly confident where this was going. Um, so when you do the biopsy, they test, they genetically test the tumor, um, but we also then did other genetic results after that. So he was not in um, the most desirable group with regards to that, but he's not in the worst group either. So like I put in the posting, one of the things that we um, we don't focus specifically on the numbers here, um, hmm. We just thought, we just knew that the next five years for us would be super important. So our team locally, our team in Philadelphia, everybody was on the same page and we lucked into some great doctors. So they just really worked hard to get us on a good surveillance program to make sure they monitored everything. Um, so we have a great neck below team, a great neck above team. So that's where we're at um, with regards to that. And we really, Outside of that first date, you know, we got some of the results and they talked us through them. we talked to him about a few things. We just kind of figure at this point that I feel like both Presley and Mila have beat the odds getting this insanely rare cancer. So why not have them beat all the other odds? So numbers don't really matter over here at our house.
0: No, for sure. Okay. I love that. So as far as the surveillance goes, so Presley, um, do you have scans every, like every three months? Does it just kind of depend?
1: Every three months we have scans and then once a year we go to Philadelphia.
0: And then what about you, Mila? How often do you have scans so far?
3: We go to Vermont to the pediatric oncologist every three months. She has an MRI of her abdomen and every six months a CT of her chest. And now she has to have an ultrasound of her kidneys because there's something showing up in her kidneys so we're there every three and blood work every three months and then we go to boston we're at every six months now and when we do that it's uh we go down it's it seems so odd like you're, you're saying Oh, you get used to it so my friend and i and mila we drive down and we come back in the same day so it's a 15 hour day for because oh the doctor's appointment itself is like 15 minutes That's you know crazy. it's taking two days off of work to drive down and come all the way back because they don't want to stay at a hotel but the oncologist in vermont we live in a very Rural area. And even the hospital in Vermont is not the biggest hospital, but they have wonderful pediatric oncologists and they were lost. They're like, we have never seen this. We don't, we don't even know what to do. We don't. And they tried to call the ocular oncologist in Boston. and She's like, I do eyes. I don't know. Like, you know, I just send people away after I take care of her eye. So, so who did I, you end up finding for scan protocol? Oh, sorry. Um, I actually got on one of the ocular melanoma websites. There's or Facebook pages. There's two of them, and I don't know which one it was. Someone had uploaded Doctor Sato's scanned um, yes. schedule, and I brought it with me, and I said. I found this. Can you, this is what you should do. And the doctor was like, absolutely. She scanned it right into her chart and she went to the insurance company and has gotten everything approved. And that's what they're that's following awesome. because she's like, she goes, I don't know what else to follow. She goes, this seems reasonable. Let's do this. So it's it well, I think that. that's great that you've been able to advocate for that
0: and
2: that your doctors listened.
3: It's it so great for- that you
2: said that because that's how we got ours too. So we, You know, no doctor, I've not come across a single doctor outside of the ocular oncologist who's ever dealt with or had another ocular melanoma patient. But the first night after um, we actually had the diagnosis, I got onto one of the Facebook pages and Dr. Sato's name was everywhere. And I called and I harassed his poor nurse. I called her every single day, multiple times. So they agreed to see us and he graciously agreed to meet us. He couldn't see Presley at Thomas Jefferson because his malpractice is only for adults and Presley's a child. So he agreed to come over to Will's eye and he met with us and he did a physical, physical exam. And he is actually the one he's tag teaming with the Shields and is over. He he wrote the scan protocol and he is who feeds it to all of our local doctors here. That's awesome. I see Dr. Sato as well. So
0: yay Sato. We love Sato. Absolutely. He's great. <laughs> He called himself at one point in one of my appointments. He said he was like the dinosaur of ocular melanoma. <laughs> like he's been around and he understands it better than just about okay. anyone
1: out
2: there. a rock star of ocular That's melanoma. He's definitely feel- a rock star. When he agreed uh, to it, I just thought it changed everything.
0: No, for sure. Well, I'm glad that both of you guys have a good scan protocol and that that makes sense. So is it okay if we talk just for a minute about scans? Just, I just want to kind of get you guys' feel for your experience because I know some of some of our patient community have a lot of anxiety about going into that MRI machine. And I guess I'm just wondering, you know, like Presley, what helps you? Like when you have an, an MRI and you know you have to be in the MRI machine for, I mean, these scans are what, 45 minutes to an hour. What kind of helps you prep ahead of time? Do you, do you feel nervous? Um, and if so, then what do you do to help yourself kind of not feel as nervous?
1: I don't really feel nervous because... I've done it probably a hundred times now. So it's kind of like, it's just routine. Maybe not a uh, hundred,
0: but close. Almost. It'll get there. I mean, one day. One day. <laughs> one day you'll have had a hundred scams. That'll be, that'll be a day. Okay. So, so it's just kind of become routine. So it's just, it's almost like just normal. Like you expect it. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And Mila, what about you? Okay. I think you said, I don't like it. Is that what you
3: said? She gets, she doesn't like the IV part of it. Um, I don't like any part of it. So they're really good over there, though. They do the labs and they do like her CT. They'll put the IV and draw the labs at the same time. They give her the numbing thing to put on there first. They're great. Yeah. No, um, no, they're not. And no,
1: they're not. she she's lying.
3: <laughs> well, Mila, what's what's your experience?
0: Like, what does it they feel? Never, what does it feel like for you?
2: They never get the IV they the first them. time. Never. One time I had to do it nine times because I couldn't do it.
0: Oh that's, goodness, that's a lot. I've got oh no, it's gone now. Finally. I had a bruise from a bad blood draw. And it was just like a blown vein. And it's not fun. Um that's definitely, I guess, like as far as as far as that goes, I don't know. I don't know what this feels like to be a kid and you know, with the nurse who's doing the MRI and who's doing the IV. But if you have if you have something, at least as a grown up, what I've been told is if you have something you're uncomfortable with and a doctor is doing something or they're not doing it well, then we have to tell them. We just have to say we have to speak up and say, hey, this hurts like you're doing something wrong and you're not doing it right. So either find someone who can do it better or fix it. And so I just want I want you guys to know, like, I know you guys are what are you both 15 now? I think you're both 15. Yeah, you guys are 15, but you guys, you guys totally can speak up and you can tell them if they're, if they're not doing something well, you guys have more experience having all of these done than they have probably combined, like as far as personal experience. And if it doesn't feel good, then I guess if I can, if I can send anything out to you guys, like advocate for yourselves, start now, like at 15 because it's important. Like your moms are doing such a good job, but you guys are, you guys are also at a place where you guys could speak up too and tell them. And you tell those doctors and those nurses do better because you deserve better.
1: My nurse is Um, amazing. I don't think she's ever messed up and she makes it painless and she she does it. That's
0: always good. When you get those people, that's the best. And I think, and that's, um, you mentioned you have the same person who does your scans and everything each time.
1: Or the same person who does my blood work in the IV.
0: Yeah. So, and that might be something that, you know, like as a, as a kind of a one, one person to another that like, maybe, maybe there's someone who would be working with Mila's team who would be able to just be, who's, who does it better? Who does the IVs better? And that would be.
3: Yeah. Her first, the time she's talking about is when she was first diagnosed and oh, she. Gotcha was stuck a million times. No, they oh, still the never get it first time. And the lady then you did it down here and it left a bruise on my whole arm. Well, you have a bleeding disorder? You're going to oh, bruise. It hurt. It's totally so, it's
2: totally okay and it's crazy.
3: Yeah she had gotten obviously just from all the testing and everything that was going on and then um, because of the bleeding disorder we ended up having to go to the clinic and they had to give her infusions and see if it would her body would react to it before she could have surgery so she got stuck a lot and by the time they got to the end of it she didn't have any veins left
1: it looks like we lost our host <laughs> Oh.
2: Sometimes I think these are on time limits. So I wonder if maybe that had, I don't know if we... I
1: can't tell if my hat's even. <laughs> well,
3: I'll ask a question. Presley, how did you feel like you were um, affected at school? Like after you were diagnosed and went back to school afterwards, did you like, was anything different or did you feel different?
1: So actually my school just did, everything to help like my teachers and everybody they were just so amazing and they made it really really easy for me like I like skipped almost half of the year and they just made it really easy for me when I came back everybody was super nice.
2: Our community really I think this was such a shocking thing to happen Um, and unfortunately there's several other kids that are battling different types of cancers in our community. So I think that there was just a lot of awareness. So he definitely felt supported, but I, I will say as his mom that I think that he didn't love, like he has struggled with trying to be some, to be him and not just be like, Oh, that's the kid that has that eye cancer. You know, like I think that's something that he struggles with is being, you know, we're so grateful and thankful. And that's something that, you know, I or you have not ever dealt with as their parents is that that is
3: it's a hard you know a hard line there. I think with her Mm -hmm. moving schools it was really hard because she like went back and didn't know anybody. Um, I can't imagine. She did tell me one story where um that she just went back to school and she had this radiation burn and she didn't know anybody and I guess the they were in health class talking about chronic issues and One girl was like, oh, I have a chronic issue. I have Crohn's disease. And then she looked at Mila and she said, what's wrong with your eye? And Mila's like, oh, I have cancer. Like, it's nothing. And everybody in the class turned around and looked at her. She looked at me like I died (laughs) and came back to life. That was Skylar. But, you know, she was just very...
1: She's back, by the way. Oh,
0: hi. You guys are awesome. I'm so glad that you guys kept talking. I have no idea what just happened. Like, and I'm hoping it doesn't happen again. But I'm on... I'm on again, and my computer is my internet died like just suddenly. So, we're on my phone and we're crossing fingers that it's going to work. Um, oh, really? so we made it work, I know it's crazy. <laughs> um, well, what were you guys just talking about, just so that I'm up to speed for a sec? Um, uh,
1: life at school after it happened, life
0: at school after it okay, that- happened. Perfect. This is, yes, this is what I was going to cover next. So <laughs> thank you for keeping that going. And hopefully I'm just crossing fingers. The audio stays good and everything kept going, but we're just going to, we're going to cross our fingers. Um. So where I guess I will just let you guys keep going. What, wherever, wherever you guys were talking about like, and what things have changed, if friends have treated you differently, or if this has kind of affected friendships.
1: All my friends are super nice. No- Everyone's really nice. Like I don't think anybody's, said anything or been even slightly rude about it. I kinda get treated like a king and it's, it's kinda nice. Everybody's so nice and it's amazing.
0: Oh, it looks like we're having internet connections. There we go, they're back, perfect. Milo, what about you? How has school been, have you like it's been trickier for you just being at a new school right after diagnosis?
2: I don't like it. I've been bullied every day since I switched to schools. I don't have any friends at my school. I don't, I still don't know anybody. I don't know. That's
0: it. It's it's just not fun. Like it's not fun to be by yourself, but my guess is that there are some good people out there that you could become friends with, or that could become friends with you. And maybe now, now, you know, Presley, now you have a, you know, you have a virtual friend.
2: Absolutely.
0: Virtual Virtual friends still count. FYI, they totally still count. All right. Um,
3: She she just started in a, because school just started, obviously, she's in a, she's taking ninth and 10th grades together. So she's in a smaller classroom with like 13 kids, which I think is a good thing because it's 13 kids that are like kind of falling off the path one way or another. And now they're getting them all back on the path. So they're, you know, going to take two grades at once. So she's going to have 13 kids, you know, whether she likes or not likes them that she's going to get to know really well, which is good. 14 kids. Sorry. 14 minutes. That's okay. Um,
0: Okay. So, just to kind of wrap this up as we're getting to the end, and if you guys have anything else about your stories up to this point that you guys want to share, we can cover that. But I do have a question like, what would you say is, you can say at least one thing. If you have three things you can think of, that would be great. But try and just think of one thing that you've learned, like in this last year, two years, however long it's been since your diagnosis. What's something that you've learned? and you would love to pass on to maybe another another 13-year-old who's newly diagnosed and dealing with this
1: to never give up like that's just like kind of what I live by now like just don't give up and just keep going forward with it
3: i love that okay what about you milo what's one thing you've learned how oh, about you you don't need to be afraid of everything that. She beforehand, before she was diagnosed, she had, like I said, had really bad sensory issues and I couldn't get her to the dentist. I couldn't get her to get blood draw, anything she hadn't in years. And then after it's like, once we went to the eye doctor and she just fully cooperated. And I think, cause she knew something was wrong. Now she's been a rock star, even with everything they do, she goes in and she's like, okay, like, I know I need to get this done. And I think a lot of it is fear and fearing the unknown and you know unfortunately you have to go through with it. You have to you have to go forward. But I think in in her case. She definitely uh has done a great job with that. And the importance of getting your eyes checked because I'm honestly, you know, like I said, she hadn't ever had vision problems. And she probably hadn't been to the eye doctor in about 10 years. And you know, even when she was complaining, she couldn't see. And I was, I blew it off. I, you know, honestly wasn't, you know, thinking it was as bad as it was. Cause she's like, no, I really can't see out of my eye. And, you know, honestly, that's the last thing I never even heard of ocular melanoma either. I had no clue what it was. So it is really important. I tell all my friends now, like their kids, get your eyes checked. Even if, you know, even if their vision is fine, that's right.
0: Yeah. Even if they don't have vision issues, eyes checking should be a priority every year, just as much as a well deck for the rest of your body. Absolutely. But that's, you know, it's, it's just something that I guess, unfortunately, we've all kind of just had to learn and it's not even a safeguard to be totally honest. It's not a 100% safeguard because you can go and you can see an eye doctor from the time you turn eight and they can still miss it. But some surveillance and you know, everything that we that we have available to us now with all the scans that they have and more awareness is better than nothing for sure. Okay, so this one's a little bit more fun of a question. Um, Do you guys have a favorite song? Something that you like listening to before, you know, just anything that you like listening to. Favorite song or favorite movie? I guess let's go there.
1: I have like 100 favorite songs. got to pick one. I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite song. I love like all music. So I guess any song could be my favorite song at some point in time. Love that. Well, have
0: you ever heard the song Radioactive by Imagine Dragons?
2: That's
1: one of
0: his favorites.
2: <laughs> I yes, listened man. to
0: that on repeat. I mean, I mean, if I didn't have a freaking metal piece in my eye, I would have jumped around and been <laughs> like, that's me, I'm radioactive. <laughs> um,
2: Absolutely.
0: Yep, it's a good one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mila, do you have a favorite song, favorite book, um, favorite favorite movie? If you don't, it's okay. Well, when I was thirteen, I loved and 15 i love harry potter but i think that must not be as cool anymore because not as many people know who harry potter is <laughs> um I, if you have a favorite song that's helped you then you're totally welcome to share as well
3: oh no, i don't i'm like presley i listen to everything absolutely yeah. everything
0: well i love that music i definitely have found helpful um in just kind of nav- navigating the stress Trying to think if there's anything else that I want to cover. I'm just feeling nervous about my internet connection because it's looking all weird. Um, I guess as parents, Stephanie and Kaziah, what's what's one thing that you have learned and that you would like to pass on to some other parents who are in your shoes, unfortunately?
2: Um, to parents in our shoes. Yeah. Um, so just parents of
0: someone, you know, someone uh, who's a parent of a child with ocular melanoma.
2: I could write a book of things I'd like to pass along because I I was helped by so many ocular melanoma patients, because that's the only place that you can get this information from. And had it not been for those groups, this would have been such a different journey. I think for me, the the thing that has changed the most since this all happened is I would have told you had you asked me, you know, two and a half years ago, you know, we, we were a fun family and we did all these things and we spent time together. And then when something like this happens and stops you. Time becomes different. The value of time becomes very, very different. And I think it caused all of us to slow down in in our family prior to the quarantine and really look at that and what we were going to invest and spend our time in and um, the things that were important. And we just, we reevaluated everything and we just kind of made some new goals and some new priorities and we've stuck with them. Because we learned really quickly that we're not always promised tomorrow. We're not promised good tomorrows. And uh, we've had a lot more good tomorrows than bad tomorrows, which has been good. But I think that's what's changed the most is I have a very different view on time. Okay. I love that. Um, Keziah, what about you? What's
0: changed the most or what's something that you've learned that you'd like to pass on?
3: Definitely the exact same thing about time and about, it sounds kind of silly, but like money I'm like super you know I'm always worried about money and I work a lot and you know but then I you know Mila would want something like she really wanted to go to Hampton Beach this summer and I was like oh, it's gonna cost so much money and then I was like seriously what really we went to Hampton Beach and we went in the middle of a hurricane and we spent a lot of money and we had a great time and we didn't care but it was the point of just living more presently and then I think too having you have to have like your support your main support people when she was in the hospital that night, she was out sleeping and I'm looking over and she's got this huge patch on her eye. And you know, I I'm just alone and I'm in Boston and it's snowing and I don't even have a car like just her and I, and she's sleeping and she just had the surgery. And that was probably my lowest point where I actually have two friends that had, um, children with Wilms tumors and their children are, grown and fine at this point point. and i messaged both of them i made a group chat and i was just like i can't do this how do you do this like how do you do this and i said you were the only two people i know that honestly can even understand what i'm going through right now and they were great but it's, it's finding that support like you do have your you know your significant other or your sister or your brother or whatever but i think too just trying to find and you know this was before i knew about the the facebook support groups or anything but just having people that you can go to when you're really as a parent dealing with this, um, when you're really a wreck, because you you don't show your kids that you just yeah, don't. No, I mean no, sure. that's the things you do in private because you don't want to scare them or you don't want to you know make I've anything worse. Time. Well so. I can
0: I can definitely understand that because I mean just for me, like any of the things that I'm feeling, I sometimes feel like it's almost like there's a part of there's a part of this as you're newly diagnosed and just as you go through everything, if anything and you know anything that changes, um, there's kind of just this part of you that has to compartmentalize so that you can do life and you can be present with school, you can be present with your kids, you can be present as a parent if you're a parent. There's I think a lot of value to being able to just kind of learn over time how to compartmentalize and just kind of put cancer in a box and just say okay. I'll I'll sit with you later. I'll deal with you later. I'll be sad about you later. But right now I like, I need to do life. I need to be present with the people that I have. But that can be really tricky as a parent, especially because, I mean, our emotions are, I feel like our emotions around our kids just kind of go like sky high. (laughs) They go sky high and it's crazy. But for those of you listening who are not in the pediatric Facebook community, if you do have a child who has been diagnosed with ocular melanoma, then we have the pediatric ocular melanoma group. And I want to look it up to make sure I get it right. It's called pediatric ocular melanoma, and it's run by, it's run by some of the board members of a Cure Insight. So anyone is welcome to join that. Obviously, of course, you definitely need to be someone who's a parent of a child with ocular melanoma. But um, we do have the other support groups as well for supporting families, supporting patients. So you guys have found help in the in the support groups on Facebook, and obviously just in your support system. Oh my goodness. I had something else on the back of my brain that I wanted to ask you guys. And it was, it was a fun question and now it's gone. It'll come back to me and it's going to be unfortunately at a random moment.
3: I'll say one thing. Um, we did relay for life this year and Um, that's what I was going to ask about. We had a team and it's called team eyes on Mila and so i was like well we should make shirts and we should sell shirts and so mila and i came up with this design i'm actually <laughs> wearing it but i think people that have ocular melanoma will enjoy it so it's it's a pirate with an eye patch okay yeah. oh, there we and go. Then on the back on the back it says it's all fun and games until someone needs an eye patch <laughs> and uh, that's amazing And that's an awesome we shirt. sold like 70 of my friends bought shirts. So they were all running around with these shirts on and I don't know, we, we had a good time, but you know, in our area, there was only uh, Mila and one other person that were pediatric cancer survivors out of everybody there. That's so easy. So it Mila,
0: you did Relay for Life um, and you enjoyed doing that. I feel like I can't remember which of you posted about this in your post, but I wanted to ask you guys if you could do anything in the next five years, like go anywhere, do anything, see, meet any person. Um, if you could just pick one thing I mean, not, and here's the thing, you can change this answer at any point in your life. This is, this is what dreams are and goals are. They're the things that you get to say that make you feel happy to be alive every day. And you get to change your mind. If today you want to go to Disneyland and that sounds like the best idea. Great. Mm -hmm. But if tomorrow you want to take a cruise to Europe, that's even better. Like there's no wrong answers here. So I just want to ask you guys, so Presley, I'll have you go first. Um, Presley, if you could go anywhere, do anything, what would you do in the next five years?
1: I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, and I think like scuba diving in Hawaii would be awesome somewhere off deep the coast. Deep
0: sea scuba diving. you got to do the deep sea stuff, otherwise you don't see all the cool stuff. Um, that's awesome. I love that. Okay. I hope you get to take that Hawaii trip. Me and too. I think that would be amazing. Um, I'll send your mom some information about a travel credit card that I've heard about. So I'll send your mom some info um, because I'm all about getting my trips paid for by just paying for what I already pay for in life, like groceries and gas. Okay. So Mila, if you could go anywhere, meet anyone, do anything, what would be one thing you would want to do in the next five years?
3: She just wants friends. Mila, I wish I could come and
0: give you a big hug. Me too. It's totally your friends.
3: Absolutely. We will send
0: all the friend vibes your way because there are, you are an amazing person. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. I don't think I have anything else that I wanted to cover. I'm sorry that the stream got interrupted. You guys, that was a little funky, but way to like do it. Awesome. And just keep talking. You guys were great. Thank you guys. Thank you Presley for talking and just for sharing your story and for your optimism and your excitement and Stephanie, just for the things that you talked about, for advocating for your for your son and for other patients to just know, like this is not a walk in the park. This is this is not an easy thing to go through as a family. Um, and Mila and Kazaya, um, thank you, like just for talking and for sharing and just talking to us about what your experience has been like and just being real. I feel like that's such an important thing. Uh, is that people just understand this is, (laughs) this is not a walk in the park. There's hard stuff and it's okay to be frustrated by it or to feel like there's just not really much that you like about it. So, all right, I'm going to let you guys go. So I'm going to end the live stream. Thanks for joining us,
2: you guys. Thank you so much for having us. It was so good seeing you guys. Mila, we'll be in touch.
0: I know. Everybody
2: wave. We'll say bye to Facebook. Bye Bye. Bye
0: Facebook. Bye. I know. Bye (laughs) Facebook. Bye Bye YouTube. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast. Please make sure to subscribe. And if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. Feel free to follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at AcureInsight. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day.